0: Welcome to Lore Citizen, a podcast dedicated to all things Star Citizen lore. If you enjoy this, make sure that you like, subscribe, and follow all of our social medias. Without further ado, let's get started. Welcome to whatever this is right now. I don't even know what the name of it yet is. Um, this is a long requested feature that uh, many uh, fans of galactic historian have asked me to do um, and i've talked with with al about this a long time about doing this and i've talked with jail about this in the past and i've decided you know what i just got to pull the trigger and do it just got to just got to got to do it just 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 do it you know uh, the
1: historians council
0: the historians <laughs> council the the, the, the retro rhetoric whatever you want to call it we'll we'll, we'll figure this out yeah <laughs> So uh, let me give you the basic gist of this. This will probably change over time. So if you're watching this in the far future and you're like, wow, this is nothing like I'm used to now, that's because this is the first one. So things are going to change a little bit. Um, But the general idea is to bring people in who like Star Citizen lore and discuss aspects of Star Citizen lore that are uh, interesting or unique or things that you don't often see discussed because they are too complicated or they, they require a lot of interconnectedness. And um, so I pick, picked a topic this week based off of some input from the uh, the other two folks on the panel today. And of course, from you, the viewer, I did some polls and got, got some information. And um, yeah, so let's, let's get started with introductions. Let's start with you, Jail. Who are you and what do you do in Star Citizen?
2: I'm Jail. I have a YouTube channel where I mostly talk about alien languages i'm one of the people who who bothers to learn shian and banu and i also just i have a lot of hobbies and i just tie them into star system in various weird ways so right now i'm trying to make a series about um using my profession as a biologist to look at aliens and also i'm trying to map the verse with maths uh make maps of the planets Woo. There
0: we go yeah. Uh, so here, here's the question. I'll ask you the the, the big question because I know it, I know it b- bothers right. you. Um, do you think that anybody at CIG has ever actually looked at what DNA and cloning is like?
2: I uh, I know for a fact that one of the one of the people at um, the UK office has a degree in biology, and I hope that. She pulls her hair out, but um, yeah, no, we can have a whole other kind of conversation <laughs> about
0: that. That's well, we'll have we'll love... have we'll have an entire episode of just just letting Jail rant about how how CIG doesn't understand how how cloning works.
2: <laughs> I, I'm sure that the, I'm sure they'll come up with a very good explanation in the end. We're just hearing it in uh, in progress.
0: Yeah. Uh. All right. And next, you have the 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 old man. One of the old men of Star Citizen. Um, uh, hey, hey, hey. The leader, the leader of of, or the the owner and operator of of Crazy Owl's Discount Space Shop, uh, <laughs> we, we
1: don't sell discount chips. Sorry, that's that's only the premium, medium. premium chips. <laughs> premium. Crazy
0: Crazy Owl's premium
1: spaceship depot. Right. <laughs> premium used chips.
0: Yeah, <laughs> it's and you don't even they don't even say depot. They say De, De, DePaul.
1: You have to use the French DePaul, yeah, kind of right. pronunciation. Like, it's yeah. like Woolsworth. Yeah, yeah. Woolsworth or <laughs> Taj
0: yeah (laughs) uh al who are you what do you do in star citizen and where can they find you
1: i'm al Garrod. i'm probably most known for being one of the info runners um where we talk all things star citizen and probably probably known best for our our mantra of uh sell your sell your fighters and uh go big and work down um lately i've been doing uh, uh just a tune and an aurora and just doing gameplay and that. Really enjoying flying the Aurora. I didn't think I'd enjoy it as much as I have.
0: Nice. So out with
1: everything is flying an Aurora. There you
0: go. <laughs> hey, fl- flying an Aurora and, and Mustangs are, Mustangs and Auroras are really fun to fly. They just get overlooked because everyone's like, oh, those are just the starter ships. It's like, they're, they're, they've they're got some pretty cool stuff yep. for them. All right. So let's um, talk about the topic for today. So the topic for discussion today which we, did, we kind of worked together behind the scenes before this got started and, and, and factored it in. So we each picked up two major things that we wanted to talk about. Uh, but the, the challenge for today was to discuss about the two most important things that a player should know, a player of Star Citizen should know, about the lore of, the, of humanity between today, the 21st century, and the discovery of the first jump points. So uh, kind of like from quantum drives to jump points. And so each of us picked two topics that we're going to go over. We're gonna, you're going to have them go over for a few minutes discussing their topic. And then a few minutes later, Al and I will jump in and, and discuss, uh, you know, add or, or, or uh, ask questions uh, to kind of clarify. Um, one of these topics is going to be more for the lore and story side of things. And the other one's going to be more in terms of how it impacts gameplay. Um, mm. and in, in just in our discussion th- to bring up the topic in the first place, we discovered there's a couple of very interesting threads that have been weaved through the lore, which may come back, um, which actually ripple all the way from, t- from, uh, the early lore all the way to the game today, especially around Synth World. So let's, um, let's get started with, I think, Jail, you had the first topic for us.
2: Nope. Yeah. Um, I'm going to. I think one of the most important things to understand is overpopulation. It's a theme that kickstarts this whole era and it keeps coming up later in the law as well so it's uh let's dig into that yeah go right so in. um yeah. so I'm I just Sorry, to contextualize gum. this <laughs> that's right <laughs> so to contextualize this this is a quote from the United Nations report on world population from 2019. So from an estimated 7.7 billion people worldwide in 2019, the medium variant projection indicates the global population could grow to about 8.5 billion in 2030, 9.7 billion in 2050, and 10.9 billion in to, uh, 2100. More than half of the projected increase of the world population up to 2050 will be concentrated in just nine countries, including the United States of America. So. Bringing this into the Law of Star system, the period from 2038 to 2157 is known as the Human Overpopulation Era. Those dates correspond to a start date in our near future, around when the United Nations predict that the world population will reach 9 billion, and the era ends with the successful colonization of Mars. So this era is a period of immense challenges and existential threats to the human race. A growing population on a world with diminishing resources naturally leads to conflict. Nations strove to find their own solutions to this pressing problem leading to a rise in eugenics, water wars, and even genocide and ethnic cleansing. The quality of life for everyone just plummets. The population is packed into teeming megacities with natural food becoming scarce and mass-produced synthetic foodstuffs becoming the staples of an ordinary human's diet. The situation becomes so dire that in the eastern nations, which would one day form the state of Asiatica, much of the natural landscape is dug up in favour of superstructures and skyscrapers. Natural wonders previously under protection were bulldozed for settlements or arable arable land, and countless species become extinct. It's said, I think it's quite a nice snappy quote to contextualise the whole century, in the late 21st century even the richest and most powerful people on the planet couldn't hoard the most valuable of resources, which was space. Now, humanity could have turned inwards on itself and fought each other to death for the last scraps of our homeworld, but instead we entered into the 22nd century with a sense of optimism and purpose to reach outwards. There are enormous advances in every field of human endeavour, as we'll discuss, culminating in the successful terraforming and colonisation of Mars, which marks the end of this era. So this theme of civilization growing beyond its means and its living room is a recurring motif in the Lore of Star System, beyond even this first era. It drove humanity to move beyond the sphere that bore us and explore the stars. But it's also cited as the driving factor for the Tavaran to attack humanity, which both sealed their fate and led to us becoming uh, a fascist empire. Humanity never actually stopped, uh, never learned how to stop expanding though. And had it not been for the discovery of the first jump point, there might have been a second overpopulation era. And there's some academics in the late 30th century when the game is set, arguing that humanity is once again on a collision course with the boundaries of our current limits. Only this time, we don't have that drive and political will to innovate beyond those limits as we did in the 22nd century.
0: Awesome. So what you're saying is that that uh, like one of the major themes of the game is going to be overpopulation. It already is overpopulation, but it, it will start seeing that even more.
2: Yeah, I think that they, it, it's a thing that they've come back to a number of times. They've come back to it with humanity and the Tavarin, at least. And they're coming back to it with humanity again. And as you say, that kind of links into the synth world question.
0: Okay. So, so and I, I would also like to, like, it's really important to not to, like, can't overestimate, uh, uh, like overemphasize the fact that this is a huge problem in early lore. Everything, hmm. human endeavors seem to be almost solely driven to alleviating this problem. So, almost all technological progress in human, early human history from the uh, 2030s all the way up to uh, the the 21st, the 22nd, and 23rd centuries seem to be focused on where do we keep all these people and how do we get these people to get yeah. off of
1: Earth. <laughs> well, even, exactly. even when you look at, um, was uh, the the law document on from twenty four sixty uh, brief three, which is a, a RSI's advertising campaign to get people to leave Earth and you know go west, young man. And part of a discussion says, when's the last time you sat in a real park? And there's just no the idea that there's no space on Earth even then is like just really big. So it's not that that idea of there not being any space and there not being any room and and need to to spread out is is not just limited to that point you you see that right the way through the early history of 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 um uh, the star citizen universe and it really does make it uh imperative that, that we do understand those types of things the problem with that idea that earth is heading towards that overpopulation um situation again really seems strange when you look at uh, the Stanton system where uh, the mega planets of those super earths are relatively unpopulated um, and that could just be because they're corporately owned as well but certainly that theme of overpopulation does underline that the whole history that we've got being developed and, and grown through uh, the universe isn't it
2: yeah, so that, that opinion, and it is voiced as an opinion, comes from um, an article which is in the Showdown series. So it's two different experts arguing the toss on it. And um, it's kind of treated a bit as a fringe view, uh, with a, um, the other expert saying, you know, this is ridiculous. We've got loads of unterraformed world, we've got loads of, you know, pristine land. But that was the case for Earth at one point, and mm. humans grow exponentially. It is an ultimate problem. If you start running it, you know, humanity is now walled in on all sides as far as we're aware. We haven't found a jump point series where we're just going undiscovered system after undiscovered system. You've got Xi'an to one side, Vandal to another. So I think that there's, it, it should be in the, it, it clearly is in the minds of the writers hmm. that, that it, nothing is limitless. There is yeah. always a limit.
0: Scarcity yeah and that, and even deep in the future kind of thing, yeah.
1: Yeah, and, and that's, could... a, that's certainly something that that, that is there, that, that sense of there is limited space. And, and even we're being pushed, we're being pushed by the Vanduul. The Vanduul are struggling for space, and so they're, they're pushing against us. Uh, and
2: the van, yeah, the van Dool are almost the purest representation of this sort of resource consumption because they rock up in the system and they mulch the whole place down for yep. non-specific resources, and that I think is is also tied into this idea of of our relationship to the resources of space, but also the the resources in a space.
1: Yeah, and then you've got the Zian where where, there was that line drawn in the sand. You're terraforming our world. You know, bang. That's it. Mm. No further. So Um, yeah.
0: So this is this is a good like example like of how if you understand the early lore of how overpopulation is a thing, you can start drawing that through line all the way out to. Like for instance, the Jian human conflicts, the Cold War. You can talk talk about the human Jian negotiations of the Perry Line was a huge deal. There was one system, I, I think it was Oya, that they were like, <laughs> no more. We want this system. The Jian were like, we want the system, and humanity was like, it's full of resources. We want this system, and there there, yep. there was a huge back and forth over these these issues. So uh, this is it's obvious that at least in terms of the story, we have to understand that. The constant threat of overconsumption and over and um, and crowding is becoming a huge problem in the 30th century, um, and it has always been there since the very since the twenty first century in the Star Citizen universe. I am going to move on because I want to keep this discussion going. I'll start off with my next topic, which is actually um, a company that was founded specifically to solve this problem, which is Robert's Space Industries. So it was incorporated in twenty thirty eight. Uh, by Chris Roberts, and that's right, Chris Roberts put himself in the game, Um, (laughs) (laughs) uh, who was, his goal was to advance space science. But in order to do that, he first needed to expand other resources, other sciences as a means to help curb the critical mass of the population. Uh, Chris Roberts was very, very, concerned about over, overpopulation and felt that space was the only answer. So in fact, the first ever RSI products was a hyper-efficient battery converter um, for ground-based civilian vehicles and water for uh, compact water for purification systems of, um, to an energy-efficient power network, and even a small expansion into cricket farming because food had become so scarce that crickets became a means of protein. So being able to build crickets, uh, a farm that could that could harvest crickets. This is not too outlandish. This is something that's existing today, where people are looking to things like bugs as a means of protein augmentation, because they breed really fast and you can get a lot of them and put them into some food. So uh, it really wasn't until 2061 when Chris Roberts came across the study of a young gung-ho engineer by the name of Dr. Childress, who had came up with a theory for what was called the quantum core engine i'm going to go over the basic fundamentals of it because there's also a bunch of other things about it but essentially how quantum the quantum engines work is they fold space in front while retracting space behind so they work similar to what's called the 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 aquabere drive or the modern warp drive or the warp drive you've seen like Star Trek, where they warp space in front and stretch space behind them. So the idea was uh, that with the quantum engine was to build this as a means to go faster and to, expel, uh, to expedite the expansion into the universe. Uh, and in 2075, after some trial and error, Dr. Childress and Chris Roberts announced to the, to the whole world that they had developed the first quantum core engine. Uh, this quantum core engine would eventually become standard for all ships and is in fact the great 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 ancestor to all modern quantum drives Um, beyond that because chris roberts wasn't just interested in uh the the aspects of of how to put this he wasn't just interested in space science he was also interested in solving this problem with mass critical overpopulation In fact, the core tenets of RSI's philosophy are learn from the past, reach for the future, fuel innovation, cultivate talent, and always be relevant. So the next step after developing the quantum drive was to terraform Mars. Uh, And uh, they spearheaded development into terraforming technologies, which would eventually lead to uh, Mars' terraformation. But we'll. I'll leave that up to to Al to kind of talk a little bit more about. Um, but it's it's really I can't overest- I can't underestimate the importance that RSI plays from not just the, the initial quantum engines and not just Mars's development, but they are the ones who build some of the first commercial uh, spaceships, the Zeus, the RSI Zeus, uh, soon after the the, the Mars tragedies, uh, the Mars terraformations, and they would. Continue to build most of the major commercial and uh, public spaceships up until uh, about the formation of the UNE. So, mm-hmm. almost all products, possibly even space space suits and and terraforming the, the terraforming technology, the spaceships, the spacesuits, just about anything that has to do with space travel, likely was built by RSI during these this this time period we're talking about during this era. So.
1: Yeah. And the other thing that really sticks out with RSI is the fact that uh, back in the early period, they were almost seen like, they'd have been like the um, consolidated outland. The idea of a ship for every person, that's what the Zeus was. Mm-hmm. It was mm-hmm. the idea of getting a ship that everyone could have, not just the rich people. It's
0: important to so remember that weird. the Zeus was expensive. We're not talking about like, yeah. the Zeus wasn't something that like you could just... It's not like the equivalent of a modern day car. It would be like the equivalent of like mortgaging a house, (laughs) you know, for, at the time.
1: But it was still, it was still within the realms of everybody being able to acquire one. Yeah. Um, the idea of a ship in every garage, it was that type of. Yeah. You don't need a government grant. Yeah. yeah, It's within, within your reach. Yeah. It's not, it's not, you know, like buying a battleship or or something like that. It was something (laughs) every person could acquire. Um, and that is really significant in terms of looking at, um, human exploration human uh, expansion reducing that that overpopulation situation um, it, it really is the key component um, it's one of the reasons i don't like council of that land i just think they're riding on the cape Towers of RSI, um constantly <laughs>
2: Um, it's interesting. Interesting how you raise this sort of idea of corporate personality, which I think they they run through. They like they they try to give their corporations some amount of personality, and as mm. you say, you know, consolidated outline of uh, trying to take that that idea of being like the the new upstart disruptors. Mm. But something that always strikes me about RSI is that they're one of the few long-lived corporations that is portrayed as being fundamentally benign. I don't think there's much like with the other ones where they sort of get into the dirty that they do. If, it, if anything goes bad, it's more of a mistake with yeah. RSI. Probably because it's a self-insert, right? Yeah. Well, well I, have... th- I, th-
0: I think that's important Sorry, on, to pa- understand. I think it's, it's important to understand, but it's also important to understand that with um, with RSI, the concept beyond it just being kind of a self-insert for Chris Roberts... Is also that it is one of the granddaddies uh, of all spaceship manufacturing, and you know, yeah. with in, in the universe of Star Citizen, it is very easy for you to lose everything very quickly. And several of the companies that even exist today in Star Citizen were once defunct companies, like Tumbril, you know. Uh, so, and even Anvil is is the ancestor of the old Case Aerospace. So, in a universe where you live 150 years. Many companies barely live five, and
1: mm-hmm.
0: and to be a con- company like RSI, sticking around for almost millennium, you know, <laughs> millennium, you're talking about a company that is has has the right ideas from the start, and so it's always yep. so it's supposed to be this old but mostly well run company, if that makes sense.
1: Old but reliable. Yeah. And, and that's really interesting because there's very few of those companies that, that actually do span the hundreds of years of of, of history in, in Star Citizen. RSI is not the only one, though. Um, there are others out there, and uh, they're all quite unique and, and all kind of fit a niche, and, and all of them um, certainly do have an impact upon things that are happening in the game or in the background of the game that most people don't, you know, most of us don't even forget it even forget as, as we're thinking about it. And um, and certainly, I, I'm, I'm pretty certain <coughs> the aspects in, in, as we were doing the doing the reading and, and looking around for the topic, as these topics were finding little bits that, oh, I'd forgotten that or didn't know that. Uh, so yeah, there's lots out there that it's just buried in the lots of gems in the in the dirt or the dross.
2: Well, one of the new bits that came out with the, I I think it was the new tranche of stuff for Galactopedia, was they wrote in a predecessor to Shubin Interstellar, or one Mm. of the things that Shubin Interstellar brought up called uh, Worldmaker. And just out of this little sort of snippet, we get this idea that the mid-22nd century, when they're terraforming Mars, yes, the old law says that RSI is is... the big daddy of it all but there's a boom of like other little companies that come out including this one world maker which um actually is supposed to be from the early 2100s so that's kind of i I think interesting as we see the development that maybe this period which we're currently talking about will get fleshed out a little bit more Mm
0: -hmm.
1: well certainly in terms of the terraform you've also got the the defunct gold horizon uh which were now you know they used to build the gold places like the gold horizon station i think that's like um I think that's what one of the the, um, the Pyro station is an old gold horizon station. Yeah, they yeah. were basically the terraforming stations. They were places where people live when, when terraforming was going on. And so it's not just RSI doing that type of stuff. There were other companies that actually, again, jumped onto the bandwagon and in that great exploration and expansion of humanity.
0: Yeah. Yeah. All right. Uh, While so, we move on, let's move on from, from this to talk about uh, Mars. Uh, the next next major subject, uh, since you know RSI was the thing that essentially enabled Martian colonization, Martian terraformation. Let's talk about Mars itself and ha- its role in in uh, this time period.
1: Yeah. So when you look at Mars, you're really looking at the hubris of humanity. Uh, that's probably the uh, probably the, the the start point there. The idea of settling Mars is not new. It's something even in the 20th century, in the 21st century, we, we're talking about. Um, large-scale settlement the Mars, though, is not possible even in the Star Citizen universe until uh, Doctor Childress um, and RSI developed that first sustainable quantum drive in twenty seventy-five. Now, just to put that into concept or into context, um, Doctor Childress' um, first sustainable light drive, uh, quantum drive was one one hundredth of light speed. Now, that gives us uh, a distance to Mars from being seven to eight months to a little over a day. And so it, that development of that quantum drive really does enable both um, permanent settlements on Mars to be actually established and the scientific communities to be established and built up. It also means that when you're starting to go towards terraforming, you can actually get both supplies and, and equipment and tools there rather quickly, even rather, Rather than waiting one delivery every, you know, eight months or so. So even though you could set up settlements and even though you could set up space stations in and around the system and enable, uh, you know, people to go on holidays and see the see the volcanoes on Io or, um, you know, or go to the orbital platform above Neptune, and um, you're not having we're not having um, terraforming until. 2113 when rsi announced hey we've developed a new machine that can process the atmosphere of the planet and convert it to sustainable oxygen environment i.e terraforming." and um there is a news article in in spectrum where, where they're looking at and and arguing should we even bother now why are we acting like gods are we being um over ambitious here and um when Earth goes into the process of deciding. The combined Earth governments say, Yes, we will actually do this. We need to solve this problem of overpopulation. In 2130, the governments of Earth finally pool their resources and they say, Yes, we're going to terraform Mars. And so they send teams of um, scientists and um, uh, surveyors to the planet. It was as the comment goes, it was our first top-down or top-to-bottom exploration of our nearest planet, and the governments of Earth weren't going to leave anything to chance. It reminded me of um, Jurassic Park. Um, we spared no expense. Um, <laughs> and unfortunately, in, um, in 2125, just as the project was nearing its uh, completion, there was a miscalculation within the uh, terraforming process, which caused the oxygen-rich atmosphere to collapse. As one uh, employee said, the atmosphere didn't stick. And as a result of that, uh, you've had all 4,000, I think 4,800 odd people working on Mars uh, at that time, perish. No one was wearing their, life suits no one was wearing the respirators all the airlocks were open because everyone was thinking hey we've got this it's going to be finished in two days We, um even though it was against safety guidelines and protocols because everything was open and no one's wearing suits and everything else uh 4876 scientists and engineers and other people perished did that detour humans not at all as a result they said we'll do it again and, um, it, but it wasn't until 2157 that they finally succeeded in uh, establishing a an oxygen-rich atmosphere on Mars, and that enabled um, not only just those permanent small settlements in uh, under domes, but also people to be able to walk on the planet and farm the planet and have it as a second earth. And that really is the first valve that enables humans to to spread out and no longer be contained or constricted to, to our solar system or to earth. It enables us to move out and change and move things and, and settle on Mars. So there you go. Great.
0: All right. Um, I, I, I think there's a couple of things in Mars that, that people should really also know about, which is, um, mm like Stella Fortuna and the first, yep. um, extra child or extra, extra yep. terror, extraterrestrial child. Um, both of those happen in March as there's their celebrations and Stella Fortuna itself, which, uh, is actually a celebration, of that was done by Martians when the, um, travel time from earth to Mars was at its shortest. So they would send, um, supplies at the shortest. They could send it in, I guess, in, in a day, but, uh, you can do it
1: in yeah
0: in hours if you you know know?
1: if you if you're talking in terms of the um the light speed engine it's i think rough calculation was like 25 and a half hours instead of seven or eight months so if a shortest you know when the planets are in their their closest alignment you're probably looking at that even being a slightly shorter period
0: yeah slightly (laughs) shorter but th- this time period is this time period when they would, they would get their, um, a, a lot of res- resources and they'd have a big celebration on Mars about all of this stuff coming in. Um, and of course, the first child born out of, um, off of Earth is a big deal too, because it proved that humanity was able to expand. Uh, and again, going back to that first topic that JL talked about, this is like the reason why humans went to Mars was because of how bad things were on earth just how horrible life conditions were on earth just having land even if it's Mm. unarable garbage land like on mars before terraformation was a huge deal um and you know this this trying to not just get land open but to allow people to expand in that land to become more um to, to get them there, to encourage them to go was a big deal.
1: Mm. And it was, and people were still reticent about going, I suppose, yeah. the, the idea of that Martian tragedy was was always still at the back of people's heads, you know, can we trust this? But the big advantage, the big push was always, you can have your own land, you can have your own block, you know, you can have your own house, you can have your own garden, you can have and that was stuff you can't do on Earth, you know, even the richest people on earth would struggle to find a park where they could sit in, go to Mars. You can not only have a park, you can have a forest if you like. Uh, That's that type of um, promise that's that's given by terraform.
2: It's just the promise also of it is the first place where we really have a a free living, freestanding colony. Mm. And it's the first time in, you know, a couple of centuries you think about the perspective now you're not feeling like this that humanity is fundamentally tied to one dying rock Mm. that we could go beyond that and that's that's what mars i think represents to me
1: in the law this this opening of a chapter this this promise the the promise of a future um it always always reminds me of babylon five sorry sorry paul
0: As I was even saying, like that, that brings me back to Stella Fortuna. Like the reason why Stella mm. Fortuna was re- resurfaced later was because it was a Martian holiday. It would be the equivalent of like a regional holiday on Earth, you know, like like uh, the U.S. Independence Day mm. um, or or Thanksgiving. Actually, Thanksgiving is probably a better example. Like U.S. Thanksgiving, yeah, um, is you know celebrated this time of year, or whatever. But then it was brought back later in, in UEE history, in human history, as an attempt to encourage people to go boldly to go forth and to explore but before that it was a martian holiday the idea of trying to get people to come to mars was big and and like exploration and hope for humanity in the future you know kind of thing
1: and even the naming of stella fortuna was um was by a a a competition on mars Mm -hmm. among school, school children um so it's a it was you know it was a an idea to include everyone in this this holiday this this naming of this event where we're looking at the good fortune and um and you can see you can see why it ties in uh ends up being tied in with with st patrick's day because the idea of good fortune and and luck and, and and those things but you also see it tied in with things like um you know marriage proposals will often happen on that day. business businesses will will announce uh mergers or or registrations or things around the same time, because it's seen as being that kind of, it's almost a, it's almost a, there's almost a religious aspect or, or a, a, um, a faith type aspect. If I do it around this time, then I'll succeed. Or mm. there's almost a superstition, a, yeah. a superstition, um, superstition yeah. linked to it. Isn't there?
2: Yeah. I think another interesting thing that this shows us um, about the attitudes of human civilization in, in Star Citizen, is that Mars is not simply set up as a projection of an Earth society. It's set up mm. as a society that's going to be allowed to develop itself, and it's going to be allowed to have its own traditions and cultures. And Mars didn't end up just as a sort of colonial backwater or a finger of, a, of an Earth government. It was there creating and inventing on its own. It was it was uh Martian scientists who started the second nuclear age in history. And it was, uh, they, they were innovating in and of themselves, not just as a part of say, like the American colony or whatever.
0: Yeah. Yeah. yeah they, they, it, there is definitely kind think of it... this, this, this aspect that it's humanity seems to, in the star stars universe, humanity seems to look at Mars and go, we need to stop, we need something that can unite us and Mars can unite us. Our goal Mm. to make a new earth on Mars is our collective goal as a species rather than just being separate nations. So
2: exactly. Uh, I think another topic that really comes up with Mars that um, is important in other parts of history and other parts of the world is the danger and the awesome power of terraforming, Mm. because this isn't the only terraforming disaster. I mean, this, we, we, you know, the Mesa era falls from terraforming being used to uh, as a genocide weapon. Mesa in the 27th, uh, the Mesa era, 27th century, they're trying to develop terraforming as a weapon. And the Xi'an lost their entire homeworld to not a terraforming disaster per se, but um, weaponized terraforming technology. So Mars is is humans' first time of having their hand on the stove on that one. But it's not the last it's by any means. no
1: and, and we see that even in the in in the law we, we've got broken moon which is a, a result of a terraforming uh disaster mm-hmm. we've got um even even microtech the reason microtech is so cold is because of a terraforming miscalculation yeah. um and so we with numerous accounts out there and i i did come across a third and a fourth uh terraforming miscalculation with um in the law and i just can't remember what systems they were in well there's the one in um
2: where tumbril came from where it accidentally became a desert and there's there's lots of like Uh, little ones yeah yeah Yeah. that's the one and but there's lots of these little ones but there's also just this also appreciation that it can be weaponized and it can be you know it has been
1: tied to genocide it's quite and we can watch out
0: this tool of creation can also be used for destruction
1: yeah very well put and 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 even as we 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 turn it to I suppose the idea of we're turning the systems to support our own uh species as we as we spread like a virus. And I suppose that was the biggest thing with um the encounter with the Xeon. Here we are, humans going to terraform the planet and start we start terraforming this planet so it's suitable for us. And the Z are going, Hey, what are you both on about? We're here <laughs> you know, I, You're gonna kill us. I it's that, you're gonna kill us.
0: I can imagine that being even more uh traumatic for the jian knowing their own history of losing their their planet to weaponized terraformation the idea that humans mm-hmm. um, meet the first contact with humans is hey we're going to weaponize and terraform terraform this planet that's all that's yours you know yeah, humans
1: yeah you know can but... almost say it as, a, as, a, as almost a, you are declaring war on us come on get real <laughs> yeah
2: i'll just clarify before any, before i get anybody jumping down my throats in the <laughs> comments section it was um when i yeah they the xi'an thing was um an accident, accident. i think as well yeah. but it, yep. yeah it was they were trying to be a bit more subtle with it and assassinate someone and accidentally set fire to the whole planet it's like oops so rather well, unfortunate happens yeah
0: we'll, we'll we'll tackle the xi'an at some point and jail will we'll oh, look forward to for it Um uh, but yeah the <laughs> xi'an the xi'an have a lot of history which is surprising because they there's really you don't find them very easily but uh Let's move on to the next topic, um, which is uh, yours again there, uh, Al. Uh, why don't you tell us a little bit more about Argo? This is probably going to be a surprise to a lot of people that Argo is a big feature, or at least is a, an example of a, of a feature um, in the early human history that a lot of people may not know about.
1: That's right. So when we were talking about uh, RSI earlier, I mentioned uh, companies. There are a handful of companies that have sent, have both you know, centuries-long histories, and Argo is one of them. Argo um, it was founded in 2243 by Alana Redmond. And um, the company's origins literally are found in the Maglev rail systems of Earth. So Alana Redmond had been a, a rail engineer working on the North American rail system that went down to Chile. Um, the system, the, the rail system was traveling through numerous government systems. It was uh, getting old, it was get, so old, that they were often having to stop a rail, the transport system, to make repairs. Uh, the newer trains couldn't run on the old rails because they were just so unsafe, and um, the governments didn't want to touch it. It was just too expensive to do. To do. And uh, Alana Redmond, on a repair one time, noticed that uh, a, a section of track had been basically repaired by the way the magnets and and the tra- rails had worked over the over the, the track and. It had actually done a repair just as good as what they were doing on the the, the line next door, and um, and so she took leave, left the company, put her cash in, and um patented a um, a system that was what was it? It was an automated mono track repair system, and uh, her her system could also be mounted onto a rail car, and that meant that as the rail cars were going along, they would constantly be uh, repairing and upgrading uh, those rail lines. And that actually meant those old rail lines were able to then be upgraded to take the newer trains and the newest locomotives or the newer systems that they were using uh, and almost do it indefinitely. And that was like Argo's first bursting onto the scene as being, wow, you're awesome. Uh, so uh, valuable was that system that, When uh, Mars decided they needed to have a mass transport system, Argo put forward their bid and they actually um, were responsible for designing um, the radial transport system on import Retents on Mars. They are also responsible for building the uh, prime transit metro rail on Terra, as well as a municipal uh, transport line on Angeli. if you've if you've ever trans the idea is if you've ever been on a mass transport system, chances are you're actually relying on Argo technology just to just to function, just in terms of repair of a line, just in and possibly even the line itself uh, having been uh, built and manufactured and, and maintained by Argo Aeronautic um, uh, Astronautics. Um, they also uh, around the time with. I couldn't find a date for when they when they were doing this. They they noticed it was a uh, they were having delays in being able to offload uh, freight trains, and they realised that that it wasn't caused by anything on their line. It was actually caused by uh, the ability of the shipping firms to actually and and ports to transfer and process the the cargo. Argo solved their their issue by uh, purchasing or buying out a struggling firm called uh, Ship uh, Shipworks. They were a small uh, company that uh, produced uh, shuttles, and uh, Argo then produced the OUC, the Orbital Utility Craft. Now, the Orbital Utility Craft is really unique because it is the forerunner of the MPUV, or commonly referred to as just the Argo, uh, the multipurpose utility vehicle, Um, Argo actually produces and starts producing and selling to the public in 2619, and they only do that because they're looking around and they're seeing uh, the OUVs, which people have been, uh, the OUCs, which people have been buying secondhand, Uh, pilots were wanting, you know, wanting to get these and use them because they they were so rugged and they were easy to use and you know anyone could get into them and fly them it's almost like a an an RSI type idea and this is a ship anyone can use and and anyone can have and Argo produced the MPUVs uh, and they become so popular uh, that there's a line that says if it was work to be done there was an Argo to do the job Um, the MPUVs almost took on that that name of of a company as you see one of those it's an Argo it's not an MPUV it's a bit like Uh, in Australia, years ago, you know, if you had a lawnmower, it was a Victor, even if it wasn't made by the company Victor. Yeah, or Um,
0: bandaid, you know, everyone calls them band. Yeah, bandaid, but that's actually a brand. It's just band. Yeah.
1: And so, so the Argo became the brand name for this ship. Um, They became so prolific um, that many of the little craft are simply known as the Argo as as I said, they were seen as uh, not only did they um, make just um, a cargo carrier they ended up making people carriers uh, recovery pods and repair modules now interestingly we've always referred to the cargo the argo cargo and the argo uh, passenger we actually don't have an argo passenger module in game what we've got is an argo recovery pod because what that argo passenger uh, module is carrying is a life pod from a javelin and Oh. but and that little argo that little argo pod is actually the same pod that is used on the origin 890 jump in a redesigned up fancied version mm-hmm. and so the mpuvs are actually the recovery craft that can actually pick up those 8 man pods from the 890 from javelin and other big ships and what's unique about them is their lock and their lock and latch system which enables them you know their painted system enables them to pick up craft and cargo. The MPUVs are really um, common around ports and offloading ships. They're they're the type that are made to be able to carry those big traits from the the rail trains and and ships. And so even though Argos are small and uh, don't seem to have much use and they don't have any quantum drive, uh, these are the ships that are so popular and so easy to use and so useful that they are uh, you pretty much everywhere to um, do other things. Argo has since also released the standard recovery vehicle, which is, again, a common sight in dockyards and all ports. And, um, yeah, you'll see. Today you see Argo produced many utility craft, transport craft, uh, shuttles. Yes, we don't have any real shuttles in-game, but Argo apparently a main, manu- main manufacturer mm. of shuttles and re-entry pods. And on that, that's kind of our brief yeah. uh, overview of Argo.
0: So if, if, if RSI is this uh, is the the civilian kind of face of mm. space exploration, Argo is the industrial face of ex- yep. space exploration.
1: I, 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 mean, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't necessarily industrialization of exploration. They are certainly the industrial face of the ports and...
0: It's like the commercial and that infrastructure, the, the, the commercial, that, like the, the face of infrastructure and
1: that they have a face of the infrastructure that you need for your commercial interplanetary networks. Uh, they're and not infra- the mob tending to do that, but they're certainly the hmm. mob doing the uploading and offloading and.
2: And infrastructure is is a recurring thing hmm. anyway, because, you know, we. So something we think about with the UEE is its fragility as a single entity, but we keep coming up with these things about centralized infrastructure and the need for keeping these things maintained. And one of the three heads of the UEE, even going back to the days of the UPE, is purely in charge of infrastructure, which kind of reinforces this idea of interconnectedness and you can't just have a world going out on their own expecting to be successful. Yeah. And Argo okay. definitely ties into all of
1: that. And one of the things I really like about Argo and the MPVU is the idea that often when you look at the ships of star citizen, you go, "Why aren't Why don't they have you know Why isn't there a unified system here? Why aren't there? And yet the MPVU really does say there is a univ a universal size for safety, you know, for recovery vehicles or the life pods or the eight man craft, you know it it Mm -hmm. really does tie into that there is a unit there is a universal code for this and it's not that it developed out of um just someone saying oh we must have this it really grew out of the fact that Argo had this this technology and this this system that was working on such a unique little craft that it became you know the standard uh utility craft on a on a on an idris and a, and a javelin um the idea that you could even have um a repair module or a or a cargo module or a um a pod recovery module or you know there's so many variants you could have for this little craft um, how
2: good are the intellectual property protections of you know all these different human civilizations over the centuries that they can still flog the same invention that they were using on trains on earth and not have it co- ripped off and copied by everyone else. Well, I that's of like patents for days, you know. That is one of the
1: things I actually dislike about Consolidated Outland, because Consolidated Outland on the Mustang, they actually use exactly the same connection link that RSI were using on their um, Aurora's for clicking on the, the store or containers. So I basically, went, yeah, we'll take that. We'll take that. And one of the okay. things I, I I've always disliked about consolidated outland, I think they're they hacks and fees and, and, and gums.
0: <laughs> well, but you know, we, we can also think that,
1: that <laughs> we that's, also, that's a discussion we, for another day. I'm sure <laughs>
0: you, you can also think that maybe like like one of the things that I I personally think, and we'll talk about this when we get to the UPE in a different episode, is that a lot of the reason why the UPE was formed is because of probably rampant thievery by IP of IPs by people like if I'm in an Angelli, I don't care about your 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 patent on Mars. <laughs> like lol come right. come serve me, you know? <laughs> um, yeah and, I, I, and if I need
1: it on Angeli, I don't care whether Yeah,
0: you know, we're gonna
1: use it on Angeli because we need it. But yeah.
0: Yeah. Or or I can sell it to somebody who needs it on Angeli. It doesn't matter like how how often are they gonna go to Earth. Um, so Um, I think the UPE is probably for that, but I think also it's a a bit of a, this is where the game starts becoming the reason why they exist is because the game needs them to be universal because otherwise it's going to be difficult for them to to build bespoke. But, um, it does introduce, introduce an interesting concept that perhaps, um, you know, with this kind of idea of, that would eventually lead. And I'd almost argue that the unification around we need Mars to work um from most of the major human um countries on earth uh that would eventually lead to the une uh mm. the... yes
2: and I, yeah i'm, I'm going to be talking about governments in my last section i think that that's definitely the way things go that it you know doesn't yeah we'll get we'll get to that i think in yeah. in the end
0: yeah but, but what i was what i was going to say is i think i think the the idea that they also even standardize these systems where it's like, mm. Argo just makes it work. RSI just makes it work. Let's just standardize that. Let's just use their system. Yeah. And and the fact that perhaps these companies are just cool with like, yeah, use our system. We make the systems. You have to buy them from yeah. us. The parts are for our, 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 our brand, you
1: know, <laughs> kind of thing. Yeah. And, and you see that type of thing also with, with Greycat. Cat's struggled with, with people flogging their system. And and not, not the fact that they're, they're, they're copying the design, but they're... Selling inferior designs, and that's one of the things Grey Cats often struggled with in, in terms of their stuff. So I don't think it's necessarily the fact that people are copying a design, but when they're selling a substandard often and selling it as your with your label, that's that's what worries the companies rather than the, the fact that the design is being used. Uh, with with um, Argo, I wonder because if they've got the link with the um, recovery pods, whether the the standard size we've got for uh, docking collars really is something that comes from Argo. It's, it's just something we, we don't, it's not talked about. We just know there's a standard docking collar, but why or who developed that standard docking collar, we don't know. So All right. I, it's I, just I, something I wonder.
0: That's pretty cool. Yeah, no, I'll I'll, I'll move on to, because um, I want to try to keep these at a, under a certain amount, a certain, yep. certain length. I'll move, I'll move on to the kind of discussion on AI, because AI plays a huge role in this time period. I often get a lot of questions mm. about why don't there any AI in Star Citizen or the history and stuff, stories of AI, which is still very dodgy right now, but it, there is some specific things we understand, like talking about Mars, talking about all the, a lot of these things. It seems like, at least in lore, humanity developed super smart AI as far back as the uh, probably the uh, 22nd century, if not earlier, uh, possibly even the 21st century. The first ever real incident with AI that's recorded in lore is the 2044 Lemming Car Incident, where Tokyo uh, apparently linked all of their traffic to an AI, and that AI was there to control traffic. I assume to be more efficient. We don't know. We don't know the specifics behind. It. We just know that it was a thing. And in 2044. It caused a massive accident that killed hundreds of people or killed many many people probably in in the hundreds uh as it's referenced as a kind of a disaster and they then 100 years later during the first mars terraformation that first attempt to terraform they had an ai at the head of that terraformation an ai that was in charge of i'm assuming calculations or something else they were in charge of some major aspect so it got the blame for the failure of uh, the Mars catastrophe in uh, 2125, that first Mars tragedy that collapsed the atmosphere. So it seems like what has happened is humanity did, did what it's doing now, which is it's developing AI as a means to make life easier. And in a world that is constantly getting crowded and smaller and more difficult to live in, an AI to do a lot of the grunt work or to fix some of the problems was fairly reasonable, if not desirable. But every time humanity would build these AI systems, something would go horribly wrong, and these catastrophes were mounting up. In fact, one of the first major, uh, the, the biggest failure is probably the, um, Artemis, which I got to look up the Artemis actual date real quick. Uh, but Ar- the Artemis was was a the first ever interplanetary or inter- interstellar ship. It was built in twenty two thirty two or was launched in 2230, uh, 32, um to towards uh, the star GJ six six seven CC. And this was done before the explore, the discovery of jump points. It was given the latest quantum drive technology. Fusion.
1: No, latest fusion drive, I believe. Fusion drive, um, which is so why what... they, they developed the fusion drives not long before that. But yeah,
0: yeah, and which was developed on Mars, I believe, the first ones. Um, and because uh, this is this is a problem with old lore. Old lore, new lore is a little different. But the fusion drives are essentially the same as modern. Um, freelancers, because um, they also use the, the term fusion engines and fusion drives for mm. for freelancers. So these were fairly these were cutting edge technology, and on board the Artemis they stuck an AI named Janice. Now, the um, the AI was in charge of flying the ship. While the 5,000 plus humans on board were put into uh, early forms of cryostasis, the creator—oh <laughs> uh, no, it's not the creator; it's just the captain. Uh, but the Artemis was launched, and it was—it uh, disappeared off uh, after burning out out of the solar system, and it was never seen again. There are some references to pieces of the Artemis being found, and there's an entire story series which I would suggest reading, which is fantastic, called The Lost Generation, which talks about the the possible discovery of, of, of a piece of the Artemis. Uh, but the Artemis being lost was kind of the final nail in the coffin for AI for this time period. Uh, it was the last failure. We don't know if the Artemis actually was failed by Janice or not. All we know is, is that it, the Artemis disappeared. And people blamed Janus because, you know, what happened before Janus? The Martian incident. What happened before the Martian incident? The Car incident. So every single time an AI would be built in Star Citizen, it would, or in the Star Citizen universe, it would fail. It would either catastrophically fail uh, intentionally or unintentionally. So since then, there have been a couple of other attempts, but all of those attempts have also failed, leading to essentially a record of nothing but catastrophic failures for artificial intelligences. So, now this doesn't necessarily mean that Star Citizen is without AI. There are modern, like modern versions of AI. In fact, the IFCS systems that exist on modern, uh, modern Star Citizen ships and their modern human ships, and also. Um, ships at the time, including navigation systems, are they a form of artificial intelligence. But the concept of creating super intelligent or possibly even human intelligent artificial intelligence is banned in the UEE and was banned in the UPE and was banned in the UNE and seems to have been banned in most of the major countries before the uh, uh, discovery of the first jump points. So uh, a lot of the reason why the AI is being is so controversial, the idea of AI development is so controversial in the lore is because this this time period when they experimented a lot with AI and everything failed. Great summary. Yeah.
1: Uh, and then we get characters like Lelani Edison who... <laughs> Let's go AI!
2: Well, yeah. And that's... Well, that's what people
1: voted for. I mean, yeah. like the fans want AI. You know? no, the fans want automated gun systems so I can pilot their multi-crew ships solo.
0: And they won't like it when that that automated gun system starts asking why it exists. Uh you you shoot guns. Let me shoot
1: your engines off. Go save. Hey.
0: <laughs> I have to shoot something. I'll shoot your engines. <laughs> no, that's not what I mean. Uh um yeah, let's go to the last big topic, which is governments. Uh, jail, go on, go on, and tell us, tell us about the governments yeah. of this time period.
2: Well, yeah, I think this kind of t- we've we've kind of touched on this quite a bit because it's hard to talk about you know what's going on without talking about the governments in some sense. But you know, in sci-fi, there's often this trope of the only way something gets done is you end up with like a unified world government first or whatever, and that's not the case here. So. During the almost three centuries between the present day and the discovery of the first jump point in 2271, the world goes from our current situation of having many competing countries to, by the end of the 23rd century, being on the cusp of unification into one government. So we've discussed all these major events, but how did we politically evolve during that time? So things kind of get worse before they get better. The 21st century is one of deepening conflicts, as we've discussed, with wars being fought over the diminishing resources of the planet. The consequence of these is not the emergence of any one power, though. Rather, the amazing accomplishments of the 22nd century appear to be celebrated as the shared achievement of all mankind, rather than the product of one nation's efforts. So, for example, we were discussing Stella Fortuna earlier. And when that was started in 2200, it was celebrated by multiple Earth governments. They all got together and said, yeah, we're all going to celebrate this. That's not to say that the 22nd century was all campfires and kumbayas. As we heard, Argo was born out of the necessity to pick up the slack left from intergovernmental neglect of the global infrastructure. We know for certain that the period before the first jump point is um, is discovered, we do see some aggregation into governments that we don't recognise today. So just before Nick Crowshaw discovered the first jump point, a ship went missing in the same area, what was then called the Nesso Triangle, was later found to be the uh, earth uh, Solta, crucial jump point. Um, the ship was rediscovered in 2944 and we have a record of that where they discussed the fact that it belonged to the North American Alliance which was some state or super state which would later be one of the several superpowers that would call for the formation of one unified government. The story of how humans govern themselves does loom relatively large over the backstory of Sarsis and particularly the fascist Messer area. However, it might be that both our darkest and our finest hours are contained in this period of the 21st to 23rd century, because we start the era with, you know, disunified and at each other's throats. But when we come together, it's not because there's a higher political power directing things, it is as a consenting collaborative community of independent nations, and it is that emergent community that later lays the foundation for the unification of humanity.
1: Yeah, yeah, that's a good, and, and you see that, you see that in terms of what we were talking about in Mars as well, like the fact that exactly that idea that Mars isn't just seen as this, this uh, extension of, of, of government, it's actually seen as a, a a community of humans who are able to develop and function and even uh, form their own forms of government, and you even see that in um, what's the system where the civil war is at the moment, but you've got uh, the system. Charon where there's a civil war going on and the uae is saying no nope, it's a, an internal matter mm-hmm. it's for them to solve uh and so there's that that idea that we're not you know if the system wants to leave us you you, you leave the uae they're, they're not forbidden it's not like um an indivisible state it's you're in because it's a collective for the collective good rather than yeah i think interestingly i did see an article on um terror an early article on terror and surrounding systems uh, someone put forward an, a, a proposal to secede from the from from a and uh, it, it didn't win but the, the that mm-hmm. idea of being able to leave and, and be part of the union is 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 certainly um, threaded throughout the, the system and I think it comes back to that idea of that uh, working as a collective for the collective good it's it's almost like a, a commonwealth rather than an empire or a or a union isn't it it's we come together yeah. a but we're we're independent
2: yeah it definitely is and um i'm I, I think we'll get really onto that when we start talking about the une if we do you know the next episode the next period of history that it's um yes that while there is this united government for most of earth's history it's a very different and far more consensual thing i suppose you could say <laughs> yeah um, it, it, it does come out of the United Nations, right? So, Ooh. you know, you don't nobody's forced to be a member of the United Nations, but I, I think it also returns to what um, Paul was saying about, te- I think it was Paul was saying about technology, and you know, it wasn't some government said Argo is going to be the West one because they've, you know, we decided they were the best one because they were the best, and similarly, the story of the politics of Earth and of the nations of Earth and Mars is one of an organic emergent strength that is against the challenges of the day rather than a decision and a diktat to do a certain thing and i think that that's like part of the strength of, of what's going on in that era
1: yeah and and you look at the just to do i know i've heard people say that the UEE flag is is silly hmm. but when you look at the UE flag it really does mirror the united nations um, well
2: my issue with that is that the united nations of earth flag doesn't mirror the united nations flag but there we go yeah. i've got a video yeah. about that
1: <laughs> we're, uh, we're not gonna
0: we, we're not gonna get into that that, that discussion too much oh, but flags
1: yeah. flags uh, you know you've, <laughs> got, you've, you've got that simplicity of design which is got, you've got that flow through of at least you know you can see the hallmarks you can see the yeah. transition uh from that type of uh, unified united nations type idea even though it's separate governments you're you're coming together for a unified idea um and you see that kind of being transitioning into the into the current um iconography i suppose of, of the empire exactly uh, at level, so
2: i mean i think that also if if we think about um Star Citizen as inspired by World War II, as often that's cited as Mm. inspiration as you know, alongside like Roman Empire parallels. Yeah. Um something that this is very parallel to is the attitudes in Europe after World War II of we've just been through all these horrors and now we're going to work towards, you know, trying to make sure those horrors never happen again. Make sure we never have the famines and the wars and so forth. And whatever your opinion is on what how that project actually went there was an attitude there was a zeitgeist at the time that i think is mirrored in how earth has reacted to the human overpopulation era in mm. saying you know we're always going to maintain being our own separate people but we're going to work together we're going to work for humanity
1: yeah
0: and it's also a mirroring a trend we see asiatica we see the uh, the the north american alliance um these the idea that people are these nations are starting to already coalesce into larger nations simply out of necessity Mm -hmm. and a need to survive and um as you get into this project on mars and you go further on and eventually leading into the une you can see this this common sense of if we don't work together we're all going to if we don't hang together we will hang separately You know, we, 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 we we can't do this. We have to do this together or we're all going to die. And it was, it seems like, like a, like a collectivism in the sense of optimism, but also of necessity.
2: Uh, I think uh, it's just also to clarify, I think the North American Alliance is actually the only nation we know of, of this period to have a name to because um, Asiatica, I think is actually formed, as something when they start the une but obviously there are states that you know it it, we have this kind of like obviously disunified is the north american alliance even a nation or is it something like the european union we can't tell we can't tell
1: and and you see those types of developments that you know that idea of a a european union you see that idea um going back centuries even in our own world you know you see napoleon kind of pushing towards that type of idea um, you see the uh, the idea of Kansas being, you know, the can- Canada, Australia, New Zealand being, as, as an economic block being being floated in certain circles today. So you can see those discussions and that um, even in our world today as to that unifying of governments or unifying of, of economic blocks and, and mm. whether the, the uh, American alliance is that or whether it's actually a more formal government we don't know i'm going to suggest it's not um a formal government and it's just a, a, a almost an economic block mainly because of that argo's article on terms of the barrel line that goes down where no one the different p- parts of the government weren't touching the, the infrastructure repair yeah um which yeah. kind of froze if it's an independent government why weren't they doing it so uh, i think that that's kind of gives that evidence to the idea of a north american alliance being a Almost a, a an economic block rather than a unified single whole.
2: Could well be. I mean, I, I I hope that we get development of that when you know we we haven't even got to any planet in the universe that has mapped out states yet, yeah. which you know is the fundamental unit of of political power. And I I hope that when we get to Earth if Earth is still there and not a burning cinder by that point, <laughs> that we'll get a bit of a sense of of the territorial evolution that Earth went yeah. through. Um, and I, I'm very curious to see how how that develops. You know, I, and- I mentioned at the top of this that, you know, human population growth is predicted to be in nine countries. Half the world's population will be in nine countries, or of growth will be in nine countries. One of them is USA. The rest are all in Africa. You know, like, how's Africa divided up in this time? We don't know.
0: That's a good question. I think I think this is a always... place to leave leave us off on this though, but I agree. Um, yeah. we'll, well, like I will say that what this what we've painted in terms of a picture I think for you is a a solar system a humanity in growing uh, growing out of control, desperately looking for ways to keep that that control and finding it in a way of unifying together um, focusing on Mars. And The one thing we didn't talk about, which we'll probably touch on a little bit, is that Mars isn't the only colony uh, of humans Mm -hmm. in the solar system. We know at least by the time of the first jump points that many of the moons of Neptune were being settled. Let alone um, the moons of Jupiter, and uh, we we don't even there's a there's a lot of gaps in the lore in this time period because we don't know about Venus. We don't know about um the the moons of jupiter or the moons of saturn Uh, and and venus is an
1: interesting one because venus is in the green zone where you could actually terraform so if the atmosphere is so toxic that you just can't terraform because i know there are planets in the system elsewhere that the planets are so toxic and acidic that you just can't they just haven't been terraformed it's too expensive
0: yeah but we don't we don't have Um, references to things like like um like europa would probably yep. be terraformed with the technology that they developed for Mars could easily have done so. Um, so yep. there's a lot of that kind of, that kind of discussion that is unfortunately gaps in the, yep. in the lore at this time. Yep. Um, but I also wanted to make sure that we under, we, we touched on the fact is that it's at least referenced that it's not just earth and Mars, it's earth, Mars and the entire solar system. is.
1: And yep. uh, uh, we do know uh, from even when we're talking Mars that, you know, there were, um, Places where you could go to tourism, visit the volcanoes on Io. You could visit, you know, that we know there are orbital platforms above above Neptune. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's, that's where the Goodman disappears. It's flying from, you know, the, the orbital platform on Goodman to, to somewhere and it goes off track, goes off course from a, a collision with an asteroid or something like that and then disappears in the Nether Triangle. Um,
2: and this is why this is why I was speculating that we might have ended up in a second overpopulation era because as soon as that you know as soon as those floodgates opened we were all over the place in the solar system and what yeah. would have happened if you know we kept expanding and we hadn't found a way out that would have been
1: you know another challenge yeah i think that that, that's say, that would have been the situation of the devour yeah yeah it's, or, um yeah. It's yeah, exactly. mirror what we could have been.
0: To, to throw in some other lore, this is probably what happened to the Hadesians, who mm, died yeah. several millennia before humanity even existed, <laughs> before humanity or even the Xi'an probably even existed. Yeah. They died in their own little corner of the universe without ever noting that they're knowing about jump points. So,
2: yeah, uh, yeah. I, th- I think the Xi'an was... Civil War. that was also before they discovered jump points. There's so many close calls.
1: Yeah. Yeah, so um, we, we've got at least three count three other three civilizations that we know of. The Hadatians, the Tavaran, and the Zion, where they all had either civil wars or were or struggling to to with overpopulation. Um or just disappeared. Yeah. Um and all seem to be linked to that overpopulation issue, don't they? Yeah.
0: Yeah. Great. I, I will wrap this up, but I will say Pay attention to overpopulation. It's going to be a major theme in Star <laughs> Citizen. It already is, but if you if we didn't if we didn't make it clear this hour long thing where you heard the word overpopulation probably forty two times in this entire this entire podcast. Um, oh, let's
1: say overpopulation, overpopulation. overpopulation. <laughs> <Population. Just>
0: a... <laughs> if we, I think we've got a new drinking game. If you're listening to the podcast and you hear the word overpopulation in any of the future episodes, you must <laughs> try to take a shot. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> please don't die. Uh, thank you so much, Jail and Al, for joining us. Jail and Al will probably be joining us for most of these episodes, but we'll bring on other experts and other people who want to come and talk about lore. So if you want to talk about lore, let us know in the comments below. Make sure you're hitting that like button. Yeah, subscribe to this channel or wherever you're listening to this. Make sure you're following Jail on his YouTube channel. Make sure you're following the InfoRunners on their YouTube channel. Um, and uh, I'll, I'll do the, the, the Galactic Story. extra don't the Galactic
1: story? Uh,
0: most important yeah to subscribe to Galactic Story too yes um and uh remember Exastoria at Astro